Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is Roberta Glass, and you're listening to my True Crime Report. Today, we're talking about five Central Park Five myths with Meredith Elizabeth. Welcome, Meredith. Thank you for having me. Thanks for talking to me about this. So, did you see when they when they see us? Yeah, I actually saw it the week it, what week it came out on Netflix. Um, it's probably the most uncomfortable thing, biased documentary series I think ever produced. Um, and it and it doesn't make sense. You know, you look at the story and the story. Or do you want to go into the story of what happened? Sure, you 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 tell the story. All right. The long and the short of it is, um, Dirty Boys went what's known as Wilding, mm-hmm. W-I-L-D-I-N-G, and they the purpose of it was to go throughout Central Park, and they came upon people to beat and rob them. The group had moved along Central Park. They took they beat badly um, what they believed to be a homeless guy, another man. Uh, two people on a tandem bike rode through, and ultimately what happened was they um, come across a woman, um, and she's end up she's found by the police several hours after. Um, the police get, get calls about reports about these kids. They end up picking up five of them and bringing them back, or seven of them, and bringing them back to the station. The cops at that point don't even know about the woman that was raped and beaten. Um, and in the cop car, the arresting officer mentions that the kids are more or less saying, well, apologizing for killing someone. Um, but the cops don't know at that point what they're talking about. Um, so the kids are being questioned. Um, another person in the park come across this woman who's unconscious. She, her face is bashed She's been raped and beaten. Um, and... As it's told, uh, they're holding on to the kids. They were going to let them go in the morning because of the other times that they committed of the beating and robbing. And then it came out that they were involved in that rape. So the Netflix story is about how they're innocent of this crime and how because of coerced confessions and racism, my day spent some time in jail. Yeah, and um, I... I, you know, I was really shocked to read the court documents, listen to the confessions, and for anyone who saw the Netflix, and it is a, um, what do you call it, scripted movie of what happened. It's not a documentary. 
Um, and I think that's what makes it even more powerful emotionally for people um, and even harder to talk about this case because it's really um, makes an emotional impression and attachment to these five quote-unquote wrongly convicted men. Well, what I found very interesting, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I cried during it, um, and not for the victim, because the victims in the crime, the victims that were hurt by the Patrick Lloyd, are sort of downplayed. The main victims of this story are this Central Park Five and how um, the oldest one had to go to Rikers and how um, how he was abused, and, and it's just heartbreaking stories and how one of them... The oldest one, Corey Wise, has a, you know, a limited IQ. But I watched the entire thing, and at the end I said to myself, what were the boys doing in the park that night? Why is that sort of brushed over? That is so... What is the... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. And the story doesn't make sense. You're trying to change these five kids that beat, robbed, and pot, most likely raped a woman... And they sort of brush over that part and make them the big one. And what's interesting is none of these kids or adults now that I've seen interviewed really seem to feel any empathy for what happened to those people. No. And And that's very interesting to me. And they also can't explain, well, what were you doing while this was going on? You were standing back watching this group of kids beat people? Well, why were you the five that everyone said did it? Yes. Why didn't you, when you saw them beat people, why didn't you call the police? Why didn't you leave? If you did nothing wrong, when they're running around beating people, why did you keep running with them and watching these things happen? So they obviously were involved, at best, at best, at beating and robbing people. Right. And even the prosecutor, when you... Uh, when you look at the trial transcript, said, this is a group crime. Do we know that all five of these uh, young men, well, you know, it was broken up. Do we know that, you know, I mean, what I mean by it was broken up is that the trial was broken up uh, so that uh, three of the um, accused were in one trial, two in another, And um, do we know that all of them participated in the rape? No, we can't possibly know to what extent, you know, each defendant participated in the rape. And people think, I think that's the first um, myth to debunk, is that they were on trial just for raping the jogger. And that is untrue. They were on trial for beating um, two other men and raping and beating the jogger, right? And robbing the two other men, right? Yeah, they would have done jail time. Or what was of the race? They still would have done jail time for what they did. Right. It's like the Stephen Avery. Stephen oh. Avery claims he spent 18 years in jail wrongly accused. Well, he would have spent six of those in jail for holding guns to people. Right. So these are not victims. It's now all become a part of the jog about the jogger. And because they found DNA that was on uh, the so- a sock at the, the sock at the crime scene that belonged, what was unknown at the time, that we now know belongs to um, Reyes, Mateus Reyes, um, he's taking credit for doing everything, and um, they, the prosecution, had fifty witnesses. 
saying that this was a group crime. The jogger's uh, doctor said it was no way could one person have done all of this. And I invite people to listen to not just the confessions of the five, but the confession of Mateus Reyes and see if it makes sense to you. The, the part that I found most interesting mm-hmm. um, is, and I know people like to talk about how the confessions were forced, and I, uh, what I did was when I was researching this, I sort of left the confessions out of it because I don't even want to nickel and dime with people about the confessions. So what I looked at were there, there was a woman um, who came forward who said, yeah, Corey Wise called me on the sister of his friend and said that he raped this woman and was involved in the rape. And she she testified at the trial saying this, and she was clearly a witness that did not want to testify against him. Why would she lie? Right. She said he just, she thought she was helping him. She said he just held the jogger down, and she thought that would absolve him. Um, right. And that conversation was a private conversation where the police weren't around coercing anyone, and he was just telling her what happened. So why would he lie to her, and why would she lie? Right. And there was a couple people that came forward that more or less said the same thing. I thought that was very interesting. And also, I read the um, right before when they were the Mateus Reyes information came forward. Mm-hmm. The city with um, I want to say maybe Ray Kelly and a couple other prosecutors did an investigation, and they found that they the boys were complicit in this rape and were somehow involved. And that their theory was that the boys either found her, for, like, as they were in a path, found her, beat her badly, and then Mateus Reyes came along during that. Or Mateus Reyes, that the boys found her, beat her, attempted to rape her because there was semen found on their hands, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And that Mateus Reyes then, and I want to say it was Kevin Richardson told the police that Chrissy Blunt got the scene and said, this is where we last, last saw her. And the police said, no, she was found 15 feet down in the ravine. How did she get there? And Kevin Richardson said, I don't know. I just know how she got here. So mm-hmm. another strong theory is that Mateus Reyes came stumbling along, saw part of this, and then jumped in after. Mm-hmm. Um and what's also very interesting is that Mateus Reyes and Corey Wise were both in writers. Mm-hmm. Um, Corey Wise, even though he's depicted in, uh, I forgot the next book's movie name. When They See Us. When They See Us. is depicted as having a low IQ and sort of a victim in writers, but in reality he actually was one of the gang leaders. Um he does have a lower IQ, but he seems to fare, fare, fare fairly well in Rikers. He came across Mateus Reyes. They claim they got in an argument over changing a TV station. And then a couple of years later, he saw him, I guess, upstate maybe. Mm-hmm. And Mateus Reyes then came forward after that. And the investigators found that there was credible evidence that Corey Wise threatened him through a number of ways, and essentially said, if you didn't cop to this and say you did it alone, we're going to kill you. And Mateus Reyes had been previously, he this uh, young man... And he had, was serving a life sentence anyway. Right, and let's look in his past. He had raped his mother, and he had raped, <laughs> <laughs> raped a woman in front of uh, her children, a pregnant woman. And killed her, I think. And killed her. So this is... Um, a very scary human being, the kind of human being 
who would be capable of raping a... This is uh, the jogger lost 80% of her blood. Uh, she couldn't open one eye. Other reports had one eye out of the socket. Massive, um, you know, bodily wounds. They didn't think she was going to make it, right? So yeah, that's another... Right, that's another thing. They didn't know whether the jogger would uh, live or die, or what she would, or whether she would remember anything. So what? Um, and she didn't. She does not remember uh, the attack, but she does believe her doctors. Her doctors, when they say that more than one pe- person attacked her. So and what's um, also interesting is, as you bring that up, is that the police didn't know whether or not she was going to die or that she would wake up or remember. So for them to frame five people with a victim still alive, knowing that she could very well wake up in an hour and say, no, that wasn't them, mm-hmm. that's a pretty dangerous game to play. Certainly. They generally don't play that. And also, the arresting officer, who you sent me a great interview about it, said that when they first started interviewing the kids, um, the detective said, just hold the kids. We're going to, they wanted to question the kids to see if they saw anything to do with the rape or knew who did it. They didn't figure 14, 15 year old boys would be capable of doing what they did to that woman. Mm-hmm. But the first kid they interviewed, which wasn't part of the five, said, I don't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't involved in it. I don't know anything about it. The only thing I know is about the people we beat. The second kid they brought in, uh, and they let him go. They did, his parents were there. They gave him an appearance, sick, and they sent him on his way. The second kid came in, said, um, yeah, so-and-so and so-and-so I saw involved in the race. It was one of the Central Park Five. And they're like, wait a minute. So the cops, when they first started questioning, didn't believe they were involved in it at all. Mm-hmm. They didn't believe they were capable of doing that sort of crime until they implicated themselves. And they questioned seven or eight kids that night. Three of them said, I know nothing about this. Mm-hmm. And they let them go. And yet they were hinting in the back of the police car. They said, well, why are you out robbing and beating people? You should be uh, at home with your girlfriend, right? And they said, I already got mine. Yeah. And um, that was Did you just say that? Court. <laughs> yeah, he got, yeah. oh, we got ours. It was something yeah. like that. Yeah. And, but at the time, the cops didn't know what they yeah. were referencing mm-hmm. yet because they hadn't done the charter. Yeah, yeah. And they weren't allowed to enter that into court because the cops had... They weren't in the presence of an attorney or their parent, mm-hmm. and the cop had asked them a question to get that answer. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't allowed to be entered into the court record. But and that was uh, who was it? Not Anthony. Why is his name escaping me? Ramos. I don't know. Uh, oh. Oh, Raymond. Raymond. Are you asking the cop's name? No, no, the kid's name. Raymond. Hold on. Raymond Santana. So, it, it's what's more shocking is when you actually listen to the Ken Burns documentary, and they describe the night, and they go through, and somehow they're at, they don't know why they're in the park. Ray, uh, Santana's father says there was too much crime on the corner. I told them to go to the park, and I feel guilty because I sent them there that night. But none of the other. Five say that. Do you know how many other kids were in the city that night? Do you know how many other kids in the city that night saw that group and walked away from them and went home and went somewhere else? So just because your son went to Central Park that night doesn't mean that he then needs to start beating and robbing people. That's not a real excuse. Well, he's well on on the Ken Burns documentary. He's he's 
maintaining that he set them up to be falsely accused by being in the park that night. That's really, I think, his thing. But no one else says that that we were sent there by Raymond Santana's father because he didn't want us on the corner. And they're very vague about why they're in the park. But on the confessions, the um, the repetition and the sameness of the confessions. We all we went to rob uh, joggers and bicyclists. We went to rob and beat up joggers and bicyclists. All I mean, it's it's so repetitive. Um, the confessions, but when you listen to the documentary that Burns made, it they describe watching these kids exactly what you're saying. Watching this other group of kids, this vague other group of kids do all the crimes as they're going through Central Park, which is huge. And they're at every part, part of the uh, park that these kids are at, and they never, they just watch them do these crimes, and exactly as you say, never leave, never call anyone. Running, following the group and witnessing these crimes, and they're not what involved are the chances? in it? What are the chances? What? I mean, let's, what are the chances of that. five coerced confessions? Uh, you know, they're very rare, uh, you know, coerced confessions, what are the chances, and what are the chances that they're everywhere where these other groups, and they have no description of the other people that did these crimes. They're just these vague other kids. And what's also interesting is they're also very vague about who exactly they were in the park with that night. True. You don't really know who was with who, because it seems that they were independently standing there witnessing this large group of kids exactly their age, and Mm -hmm. most of who they know, being mm-hmm. mobbing people, they're just running and chasing and whipping things. And that's it's the, absurd. And that's the thing <laughs> I hear often in defense of them, is that they didn't know each other. Why would they commit a crime with kids they didn't know? And yet, in the documentary, they they describe exactly how they know each other. Oh, I knew this one from the corner. I knew this one from the neighborhood. I knew <laughs> so. Yeah, they um, all knew each other. Right. I mean, they may not have been the best of friends. No. But You also have to remember what's going on. We have a pack of dirty boys running around hurting and beating people. So this is not an organized activity where who's doing what has been drawn out and lists have been made. This is something where we have animalistic behavior, Mm -hmm. and you are going to end up beating people with people that maybe you're not best friends with because you're in a a rowdy group of, of boys. And another thing that's interesting was at the time, the majority of the black community thought these boys should be locked up and put away forever, along with the majority of... This was not a race issue then. Only now are they trying to make it a race issue, but the large majority of the population felt black, white, every black, you know, felt that these boys, because they were running around the park hurting people, should be locked up. This is not the average activities of an African-American man in the teenage boy in the 1980s. The vast majority of of black kids in the 1980s were not beating and robbing people. So this is not a reflection of a race. It's a reflection of these specific 30 boys. No, they were smashing her head in with a brick. And when they asked Yusuf Salam, um, you know, he said that it was fun. Smashing the jogger's head in with the brick was fun. They also, when you read, uh, they said, did the jogger in uh, another confession they said did the jogger say anything and he said yeah she was saying help i mean and you just and then they're telling her shut up bitch and slapping her and grabbing her i mean just the nightmarishness of this research um i was not expecting 
No. And what's interesting is people make the argument, oh, well, why wasn't, if they were raping her, why wasn't their semen found um, on her person? And the answer is, these kids are 14 years old. They're physically not that mature. And to be able to actually do that in front of a group at 14 years old is not physically an easy thing to do because what you're doing is horrible and it's in front of a group. But where did they find their semen? They found their semen on the inside of their pants. And right on the outside of their pants. So explain to me what else they were doing that night, why they have semen on their pants. Right. So Kevin Richardson had scratch marks on his face, and that was really the thing that tipped them off, because he blamed the scratch marks and still does to this day on the cops. But when they said, which cop did did this to you, he he changed his story and said the jogger did it, because they were going to get the cop that did it to him. Right, he and he was not ready to falsely point a finger at a cop for putting the scratches on his face. So that's how um, he got really connected to um, the jogger, and um, and one had semen in his pants, and one had uh, semen on his on the inside of his underwear uh, jacket and inside of his underwear. So I mean, and also on Richardson was a hair of the jogger. So when they say it's just the um, confessions that got them um, convicted, that that is untrue. No, with the physical evidence from the other witnesses that came forward and saying he told me he did this, mm-hmm. that that's enough for me. Um, irrelevant of the confession. And what was also very interesting was one of the kids with the top went to pick him up. And they said, you know, where are your clothes from last night? And the kid actually went and got them. And there was mud all over the front of his clothes. In, and the jogger had mud all over the front of her clothes. Mm-hmm. And the way it matched up was he was lying on top of her. And they could tell that from the mud pattern. And that, I thought, was very interesting as well. Because normally the kids running around the park, you're not going to have mud all over the front of you. And it was something where it was on his, like, the, where it was on him matched up somehow with the jogger, which was really interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, they, he was actually fingered by his friend who said, I know who did the murder, a kid named Clarence Thomas. And they led, um, led the police to his house, and he said, where are your clothes from last night? And he produced the clothes with the, um, the mud. And... To say that that they were just convicted because they all five falsely confessed is, and that there was no, and I often hear there was no blood or mud on their clothes. They were all squeaky clean. It's just wrong. And I think it's so emotional a case. It's so hard to get people to even look at some of the evidence in this case because their mind well, is already when, made up. When you look at, I'm, I'm sorry, when you sure. look at the Ken Brown documentary, and when you look at This Is Not This Is Us, why can't I remember the name? When They See Us. <laughs> the Netflix movie. Yes, When um, They See Us. They don't present the evidence. What they present is the only evidence against these kids was that the police coerced the five of them and had them point figures at each other, and that's it. So they don't even address, oh, and then there's randomly semen on a shot. Outside of that, none of the other physical evidence is mentioned at all, and none of the witness statements of the people that said, yes, they told me they did that in private. Right. It's, so, 
it's, when people watch this, they're not getting a fair. And, and you have to remember that you have two trials. You have 24 jurors, all of which say they are guilty. And by the way, the majority of both juries were African American. Right. So how are you going to say that this is a race issue when the majority of the jurors in all 24 said that they're guilty? Mm-hmm. You, if this was based on coerced confessions, that wouldn't have happened. You need more than that. Right. And the documentary and the movie just blow over it. And they even blow over exactly. We still don't know exactly what they were doing in the park that night. If they weren't doing what they said in their confessions they were doing, I still have yet to hear a story of what exactly they were doing because they're very vague over in the movies about it. Always vague. Always. I mean, that was really what sealed it for me was watching, sorry, Ken Burns. And Ken Burns' daughter worked for, uh, the as a paralegal, the law firm that sued the city. So before that she wrote the book, Ken Burns took that book, which is uh, factually, you know, inaccurate. She also interviewed uh, the jogger, uh, Patricia Melle's doctor, uh, for many hours and chose not to put it in her book, you know, because it didn't fit her narrative. So anything is he took that made a documentary and the documentary, if you know anything about the case is, is hugely damning. They say that the violence in the city was terrible, absolutely awful that, um, you know, you can't imagine how terrible the violence was in New York city. Sort of meaning like it could have been anyone who could have done this because everybody was so violent. Yet, when Trump writes, takes out an ad and says, he doesn't mention the Central Park Five, but he says, bring back the death penalty, which whatever you think of the death penalty, fine, that was his solution. But the violence in the city is terrible. He's a horrible racist for doing that. I, I don't see the connection there. I think that anyone who, who sees a woman and, and how badly she was beaten, that she has permanent damage, that her, her soul was fashioned and she was raped, would have the same position, that whoever did this to a human being should have the death penalty. If you're able to do that to another person, then you, you shouldn't have the benefit of being on this earth. And I don't think that makes him racist. I think that makes him human on this one. <laughs> Right. But, I mean, I, and I, I'm hearing interviews all over the place where people are saying, "Oh, well, that person thinks the Central Park Five is guilty, so that they're clearly a racist." I don't see the connection. Was, and then they also say that, um, you know, I heard a number of interviews where people saying, "Well, if it was five white kids, well, if there were thirty white kids running around Central Park beating and robbing people, you can bet they would have been arrested. And had they done that to a black woman, it would have been a federal hate crime." They would still be in jail today. So this isn't a race issue. This is a human being hurting another human being issue. And again, the, the vast majority of young black men in the city were not in the park beating and raping people. This was not normal behavior. This is this thirty this group of thirty kids that just happened to be bad eggs, a world of their color. That's not normal. Right. And, I mean, I just encourage people to look. I'll uh, link um, the New York City website where you can look at um, the documents, the court documents. Uh, Also, I'll link a website where you can watch the confessions. And I understand that they try to keep the videotaped confessions. Also, 
you can see in the beginning of one of the confessions, you can see, um, I, I believe it is Corey Wise being handed a can of Pepsi. I'm not 100% sure of that. Maybe uh, another one of the five. And they and on the five said we were we were denied food and, and and water we were denied drinks and you can see him in the beginning of the confession being handed a Pepsi and opening it and they're asked and the prosecutor asked them have you been given food have you been given drinks and they say yes 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 you can see their the parents sitting next to them of any of that and listen and, what, like, and by the way what made them kept them there so long was because they had to write all the kids summonses they needed all their parents to come down but. Raymond Santana's father didn't come down for like a day. So everyone's sitting waiting around because they need to be like put in front of a judge or something so they could get a bench warrant and then be, go show up at court a month later for, they were writing them bench, uh, bench warrants for like a stupid crime. It was like, um, a, like a little misdemeanor, nothing of this nature. But the reason why they were all sitting there for so long and so long, like they claimed that the cops were holding them, well, your parent needs to come and get you. They can't just release you. Raymond right. Santana was a minor. Right. So what was his father doing? And they kept calling and kept calling and kept calling. And Raymond Santana's father said, oh, I'll be down. I'll be down. Yeah. And then just never showed up. Oh, he eventually did show up. And you can see the tape confession with him uh, sitting uh, right next to him. It's, it's just interesting, right? It's just the... Um, the whole thing, I don't know how many people though are going to do the due diligence after watching, uh, when they see us of actually watching the confessions with an open mind. And by the way, all the kids and all the parents while they were waiting were put in a separate building because they needed to be in a juvenile, um, interrogation room, which had to be in a separate building. And they were all sitting together in the same room. So you're telling me you have 10 parents in there and nobody says maybe we should get a lawyer? Mm. They weren't being held. They weren't being beaten. No. You can see no, I, I, and, and you can see no evidence of them being beaten in, in, in any of the photographs from that time. And what's interesting is the parents are sitting in that video. They're, they're just telling their kids, say what happened. Tell the truth. That's what the parents are saying. But the second lawyers get involved. Oh, my kids were were intimidated and beaten. Really? Yes. Yeah. That well, was... there's video of you just telling your kids, listen, just tell the truth of what you did. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. It's very it's a it's a very interesting case because it's become a case that, that has nothing to do with what actually happened. It's an absolutely mythic story that has come out of it. Um uh I, I can think of no other could you think of any other case that is um Mythically, maybe the West Memphis Three, um, uh, that has such a myth around it. I would say the West Memphis Three is up there, but right. it's the same storyline. It's a, the storyline is a horrific crime happened. There's a tremendous amount of evidence suggesting that these kids did it. Um, most of them confess. Then they get good lawyers, and they're attractive on film. So mm-hmm. what happens is they ultimately get out and they're the actual victim. But that's a sign of a sociopath. Yes. And by the way, these are the same people that when interviewed now don't say, you know, I, I feel horrible for that woman, that that woman's life has been affected till this day because of what happened. Mm-hmm. Everybody should feel that way. Why can't they say that? Oh, I see. I, I just believe the same thing. 
Mm-hmm. And zero sympathy for the families, zero sympathy for the victims. It's always about them, and that's what the sign of a sociopath is. You put a normal human being in that situation, they say, you want to know what? I, I spent five years in jail, but I'm not the victim here. The victim is that woman who will never be able to walk again and has permanent brain damage. The victim is those three eight-year-old boys that will never live to their ninth birthday, that will never experience. That is not what these people do. Mm-hmm. Well, she is walking, yeah. but yeah, she does have brain damage, and she's an advocate for people um, who have um, traumatic brain injuries. So um, she should be appreciated, but I, I, I look at the comments and these videos that uh, on YouTube that concern the Central Park Five, and many people attack, the, attack her, attack the victim in this case. That the victim didn't do enough, who who couldn't remember anything for the Central Park Five. It's absolutely and bizarre. And I don't think about it. Did they ever try to make contact with her? I don't think they have. I, I know today she still believes they did it, mm-hmm. but have they ever tried to make contact with her? Write her a letter, you know, apologizing, even if they didn't want to say, you know, I'm sorry, I did this to you. Just mm-hmm. a letter to say, I'm sorry, this happened to you. And I don't think they have. Oh, I would doubt it. I would doubt it. They, uh, uh, Yusuf Salam has gotten a Lifetime Achievement Award from Obama. I mean, that's what's so maddening, is it's as if um, uh, clockwork orange-type violence happens in the city, and the people who uh, perpetuate it get rewarded for it and get to be v- victims. And so he gets a lifetime achievement from Obama. So he gets he, represented they were by... when they were 21, something like that. They spent, like, you know, they were in the juvenile system where let's pretend the rape thing happened. Because of the other actions of what they did, they should have been in a juvenile detention center until they were 21 anyway. Right. Well, And no one can answer the question, well, who beat up all these other people, too, that night? How, why did 50 no witnesses knows. see this and... Uh, yeah, right, and and never. Uh, we just I, they, over that. Right, and if they saw these people getting beat up, they can't remember any of these other people who did it. What they look like? They don't really even know what they were doing. Yeah, they don't they know what they know were they doing. They just know they entered the park, and like an hour went by magically, and mm-hmm. then they were out of the park. But they none of them can seem to explain exactly what they were doing for that hour. Yeah. So, and if the people would have been able to, if I was, let's say that happened, I ran in the park with the kids, mm-hmm. and I saw them beating someone, I would be able to say, I saw them starting to beat someone, I felt uncomfortable, I walked away, I went to this part of the park, and then I, w- I was, was talking to so-and-so, and then I left. Mm-hmm. None of them have a story like that. It's sort of just hazy. It's just very hazy what people are doing. Very hazy, but and when uh, when they see us, they're listening to Public Enemy, enjoying the spring air. So you know, I don't know, oh. isn't that? It, oh. Which is very ridiculous <laughs> if you if you have any familiarity with Central Park, and I've never seen that happen, not once ever. A bunch of kids walking through, listening to music, enjoying the spring air in that way that they just that they portray it at at, at night. Never, never. People have a reason well, why, why they go, go somewhere or do something. They, they don't go to, you know, just walk around the park and, you know, listen to music on their boom Yeah, but not, not one of them said that they didn't witness something. Yeah. All of them said that they witnessed someone being beef or something else. Right. 
Not one of them said, I was walking with my buddy here, and we had a boombox listening to Public Enemy. No. And we had a nice show, and then we left. <laughs> no, they don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a lovely evening. They um, don't. They don't. All of them say they witnessed, or to some degree, were involved in beating and robbing people. Yeah. But the documentary, the movie, just is very, the movie's very hazy about it. You see them just like, like being like, hey, come with us. They run into the park. Um, you see some scenes of beating or whatever. It's very hazy. Mm-hmm. And then flash forward, and they're being picked up by the police. But it doesn't tell you what they were actually doing. No. And so that's, uh, Go ahead. No, it's just very interesting that I would think if these kids weren't involved in any wrongdoing, they would have simply said, I didn't see any of it. Mm-hmm. And even today, say, I didn't see one person get beat. I, if I saw somebody getting beat, I would have called the three something. But they can't really say what they were doing. And why is that? I, I mean, I think... They think the West Memphis Three. They don't, they don't really remember where they were that day. They were asked within 24 hours. But again, they oh, don't no. really remember where they were that afternoon. The West Memphis Three still can't get their story straight. You know? No. Decades later. And, and, you know, decades later, they still can't get their story straight. One's They're talking on the phone. Hours, yeah. And that's a ridiculous amount of time to ask somebody, apparently. Within 24 hours, there's no reasonable way there's a way you could remember what you were doing 24 hours ago. That's unreasonable, so they don't really remember what they were doing. And it's funny how there seems to be a theme of we don't really remember what we were doing three hours ago. We don't have any answers for <laughs> Right, exactly. And there's also the, the theme of hysteria and a, a witch hunt. Um, sort of getting in the way of justice. And um, I can't um, recommend the Witch Hunt Narrative um, book um, by uh, Ross Cheat uh, or Chet. I don't know, C-H-E-I-T. He's a tenured Brown professor, which talks about um, court cases that have been now labeled as uh, hysteria, like, you know, uh, come about because of hysteria, especially sexual abuse uh, cases in the 80s. And that will really change your mind as to whether that is a, um, what do you call it, um, a, a convincing narrative, whether hysteria well, plays such a, a part in, 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 in these cases. Well, that, that is years later, what they do is they try to say it's part of an hysteria bed when it's actually not that part of an hysteria bed. The West Memphis Three, the first time we hear about the witch hunt with the satanic panic was the uh, Paul Ford, Jason Baldwin's attorney, mentions it in his closing argument, that these boys just got swept up in the satanic panic. Well, with satanic panic, what it was was that they were accusing like teachers and nursery school and children, child care providers of molesting children. Not one of them were killed. Right. And then they found out that when the children were being interviewed, they were being falsely implanting memories of being molested. Right. That but, has nothing to do with three dead boys in a ditch. But what I'm saying is even but that they, narrative... They look back and they're like, oh, they, they, they were just swept up in that. No. Right. There was actually three dead boys in a ditch with evidence pointing towards those three. It has nothing to do with children and implanted memories. Those boys didn't have implanted memories because they weren't alive. Somebody killed them. Right. It has nothing to do with it. But now we look back and we like to try to pretend that, oh, well, they were just swept up in that. It's because of, you know, they need to be victims. It has to be race. It has to be intellectual ability. It has to be 
uh, the poor white trash, as the West Memphis were. But in reality, a crime is committed and evidence points specifically to you, not because of your race, intellectual ability, or anything else. And that's just part of the, what they like to do, and I don't understand why. And by the way, there have been satanic crimes in this country. They sure People have. And even the, uh, I have never been more surprised than reading the real story of McMartins and the whole, uh, the, all those uh, daycare abuse scandals uh, taken right from the court transcripts, how different that is than the way the media paints them. And I really recommend that book. I'll, I'll put it in the description, the link to that book in the description of this uh, episode. So thank you so much, Meredith, for talking to me. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, too. (laughs) Bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.